And we are live. Uh, welcome, everybody. Hope you guys are having a good Friday. We're nice and early today. I wanted to be out by 8.30 uh, today because I'm making another supply run, even though we don't really need to, uh, as soon as we're done today and the kids go back to uh, the grandparents. This is a half-day Friday for us as homeschooling grandparents. Our daughter-in-law only works half days most, but not all, Fridays. Uh, that's just a little small talk, and we'll continue that as we let people come on in. I see the numbers creeping up on the, the counter there in the, well, the top, that side of the screen. Everything's backwards on StreamYard for me. I'll go get a mirror. So um, we'll, we'll give it some time there, and we'll, we'll throw out a little bit uh, of weather information. So I think Old Man Winter has got one last blast in for us here. Not the whole country, us, I mean... Texans. It is uh, just a hair above freezing right now and raining. And by the evening, everything that's wet is going to be frozen. It's going to be 24 degrees overnight with potential snowfall. And then it's going to be in the mid to upper 50s tomorrow afternoon. And from there on, we're looking upward. And this late in the year, that probably is our last blast. But what are we going to talk about today? As many of you saw in the announcements, we're going to talk about some stuff that's scary and we're going to talk about solutions oriented stuff. I'd say we got about a third of the show on current events that we're going to lead off with, things that are going wrong, things to be concerned about. And then the other two-thirds are going to be solution-oriented things, things that you can do. We always try to provide solutions to problems. You notice I didn't say fix problems. If it's your problem, like it's in your backyard, you can fix it. If it's the problem that somebody else has created, odds are you can't fix it. You can hallucinate yourself into believing you can fix it, or you can actually look at, at your sphere of influence and your sphere of control and say, what can I do in reaction to these problems with things I actually have control over? That's what we're going to talk about today. So here we go. What about the bio labs in the Ukraine that didn't exist two weeks ago that now we're really afraid of? And just the pattern that if you don't recognize it by now, you probably don't listen to me. Or you're getting mad at me and you, st you, don't want to, you, want, you start threatening to stop listening to me because you don't want to see it. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit too with one of the bullet points today. Uh, while some of you struggle to fill your gas tanks, people like me, it... It doesn't hurt me much that the gas prices went up at the pump because I don't go anywhere. I don't drive to work every day anymore. It's going to hurt all of us. We're going to talk about that today, too. But while a lot of you that work every day away from home and you have no choice but to put gas in your car and you've gone from paying 30 or 40 bucks to fill your tank or paying $125 a tank, um, your Congress thought that they were doing such a good job that they gave themselves a raise, and not a little raise either. When's the last time any of y'all out there, um, other than self-employed that did it for yourself, but if you work for somebody, if you got paid uh, a salary in any way, shape, or form, you got your ass a 21% raise. And not y'all guys that are on incentive comp or anything, you had a really good, you got a bonus or something. I'm saying you work for a salary like our Congress, you got a 21% raise. These bitches done gave themselves a 21% raise in the middle of the highest inflation and the biggest recession this country has seen since the Great Depression. For real, not some fake-ass shit like they made up before. Um, and then I'm going to talk about the death of America as we know it. 
Maybe the end of America as we know it, Teotihuacan, the end of the world as we know it. Uh, maybe we need a new an acronym, the end of America as we know it. Teotihuacan, right? Um, this came from a question from my wife. I made a statement along the lines of these MFers are doing this on purpose. They're destroying America on purpose. There is no way anybody's actually this incompetent. And she said, do you really believe that? I said, I absolutely believe that. I don't think anybody can be this bad, this consistently, if they don't want to destroy America as we know it. And she said, why? I'm going to answer that question for you today. Then I'm going to talk about, let's go, Brandon. Uh, I have a couple people whining and crying and bitching about let's go, Brandon. So let's put the little banner up for them right now if you're on the live feed. Uh, I'm going to talk about why I like the Let's Go Brandon meme and why it has nothing to do with whether or not I'm an anarchist for real or not and how puritism in any ideology leads to stupidity. I am also going to talk about why Duck, Duck, Go must go. I've given a lot of different resources that we can use other than big tech and uh, Duck, Duck, Go has always been high on the list. You know, Duck, Duck, Go must go. Many of y'all know why already. We're going to talk about fishing for food Uh, and we may have to do more of that soon. And uh, we're going to talk about the difference with you fishing for food, unless you've already done the things I teach, versus me fishing for food. Some of y'all know where I'm going, some of y'all don't. We're going to talk about Bloody Dock, which is a plant that I ran in the item of the day this week as, for some seeds for it. It's a, it's a great plant to grow, and for where many of y'all live, you can just forage it. But then somebody said, oh my God, you don't eat that all the time, do you? And that goes down to oleic acid. And we're going to talk about why many of these warnings of certain plants about don't eat too much of it are just stupid. They're just stupid. And and it ain't that they're they're scientifically wrong. It's that they're practically stupid. Unless you know somebody that's eating a bowl about this big uh, for all their calories of bloody duck, And they'll probably crap bloody if they did that, right? Unless you see somebody doing that weekly, like all the time, you can forget about some of these warnings. Um, we're also going to talk about some more foraging stuff. Black locust season is coming. And the black locust is a plant that most of the parts of it you really shouldn't eat because it'll make you sick and kill you. There is one part you can eat, and it's delicious, and it's awesome, And you're only going to have, in most climates, about two weeks to partake of it. And some of you have been looking at these big thorny trees your whole life, and you didn't know there was something there that was a special treat from nature just for you. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about a question that came like a couple weeks ago when I sourced the audience. I had a couple questions come in that we never got to. One was mining with GPUs versus stacking SATs versus ASICs. And the idea that the reason you'd want to mine your Bitcoin is, number one, it would be completely anonymous, and number two, you get tax write-offs. There's different kinds of tax write-offs, folks. Not all of them are definitely good for you, right? I mean, you should take all of them. If you're in a business and it generates an expense, then you should use the expense against the income. But there are expenses that are real expenses, hard expenses, and there are expensable things that you'd have probably spent money on anyway. And there's a big difference between the two. And the entrepreneur needs to think this way. We don't go into business to generate expenses. We go into business to generate income. 
in that generation of income, we have expenditures that are necessary. And then we have expenditures that we can move under that umbrella that become deductible that weren't prior to that. Those are very, very different things. We're going to talk about how Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation. You know what? I figured out what Bitcoin is a hedge against. It's not a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against government. The purpose of Bitcoin is to regulate government. We'll talk about that briefly today. We'll talk about trellising grapes on a metal trellis in a hot climate and what you can do about making sure you don't damage the vines in particular. We'll talk about a little bit about going from social media lurker to social media influencer. This is a question that came in on Instagram. And when to move your business from a hobby business or sole proprietorship to something like an S-Corp or an LLC. And most of y'all know what I'm going to say. Tax attorney CPA. And this one, for most of y'all, you won't need a tax attorney. Tax attorneys are when strategies get really complex. you know. Or maybe you want to talk to one like our, our buddy Matthew, who we should probably make part of the expert council, Matthew Sersley, about like an annual consultation to make sure that you're doing as much as you can with your CPA. But you probably don't need to get deep in with a tax attorney if you're asking this question at this level. But you probably do need to talk to your CPA, and if you don't have one, you need to find one. So that's the basic answer there. But we'll go into some other things to think about so that we can have intelligent conversations with our CPAs. And I want to explain something about why I actually go into these subjects a little bit deeper and then turn around and say, talk to your CPA. I want to fuel you with enough information to determine if your CPA should be your CPA. Because if you start talking about this, and they start thumbing through books, and they don't know what the hell you're talking about, what a redneck hippie duck farmer does, and I ain't nowhere near close to a CPA. I had two accounting courses in my life, okay? And I've run businesses my whole life. But they should know more than me. That's why I pay them. I have one little bitty gal. Looks like the chick from um, The Incredibles that designs the, uh, the, the, the costumes for the superheroes. Man, she's badass. And, you know, that's... That's what you're looking for. You want a CPA that understands what you're saying and knows more than you and says, you should do that, yes, you should do that, and this is how, or, hey, don't do that, dummy, here's why. And if they don't know what the hell you're talking about, there's lots of them out there. You need to go find another one. So with that outline dropped, 10 minutes in, let's go into this. Remember, if you have questions, comments, things you want me to comment on later on, all caps in at least the first three Words, because I know some of y'all told me I don't want to capitalize a whole damn question because I'm on you know using thumbs on a phone. So at least the first two or three words, if they're in all caps, I'll hit the star, and at the end we'll come back through them. Let's start off with the bio labs in the Ukraine. This actually has made it into at least Fox News and other like right leaning um, news channels. But they're also still being apologists, and I want to kind of. I want to kind of point something out. When, when, when people who are supposed to be conspiracy theorists tell you something's going to happen or something is happening and you write it off, and a few months or a few days later, a few weeks later, sometimes a few years later, it comes out that everything that person told you was true. And they tell you, here's what's likely, not going to, but likely to happen next. Maybe you should pay attention. So, Here's how the narrative has shifted. There are no 
First of all, people said there's biological laboratories that are doing research into dangerous pathogens in the Ukraine, and they're funded by the United States government. All right. So, we're getting a good tip there for you guys on iPhone for all, for all caps. And I don't know if that works on Androids, too, but I'll just throw up on the screen. Anyway, um... That was, the, that, that was the accusation, that they're, they're doing research on things like the plague. They're doing research on, like, gain of function, like they screwed around with in China. That there are things being researched in these laboratories that are very, very dangerous. Well, it was all Russian disinformation. But you have to pay attention to how these fact-checkers do their job. So there's certain ways that people respond to accusations where you know they know they're lying and they're trying to cover their ass. And the latest pattern that I've observed that's becoming very prominent is we change the accusation so we can deny it factually even when the accusation is true. So what they said is there's no chemical weapons or biological weapons facilities in the Ukraine under United States control. Now, that's that's an interesting little thing. Under U.S. control, that doesn't mean we didn't fund them or we don't, they say we didn't, we don't own any, we don't have any, they're not ours. But no one was saying they were, well, let's say the accusation from the majority of level-headed people wasn't that they were chemical weapons or biological weapons facilities. That would be where we take the biological or chemical organism and we put it into a weapon so that we can shoot it at somebody or we develop a dispersal model of some sort, spraying, etc. No, these are just research facilities. Well, what do you do there? You figure out how to make the thing do something. Become more deadly, less deadly, spread a different way. It's not a weapons facility until you actually, it, technically. Now, you got to think about the whole thing here. So Anthony Fauci, back to COVIDs, sitting on the floor of the Senate, being asked if the money that went to Wuhan funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. No, it did not. Okay, so did the money go to a project that took viruses and made them more able to infect people. Well, yes. Okay, how is that not gain of function? Well, we checked into the definition, and that doesn't fall under their definition under the ban. You see how that works? So, we don't have weapons, biological weapons facilities. They're not there. It's all Russian disinformation. In about two weeks' time, it went from, we don't have any, to, well, oh, okay, um, you know, we, uh, we, there's some biological research facilities. And, um, but, you know, nothing to see here, that type of thing. And we go from that to this very, very, very quickly. Biden official on the floor of the Senate says the U.S. is working with Ukraine to prevent bio-research facilities from falling into Russian hands. And it's amazing the absolute mental gymnastics people will go to. This, this chick right here, being questioned by Marco Rubio, said that they were really concerned that the Russians might gain control of these facilities. But don't worry, they're just biological research facilities. A few days later, realizing that Rubio kind of screwed up, Rhino Rubio screws up. Now, if it was me and I was a senator and I got this this bitch to say this, 
I would have I would have kept pressing like a prosecutor in a criminal case. Like you got her on the ropes here. Like you just lied to us. You guys ran a coordinated campaign with people like USA Today and, and the New York Compost and whatever and and made this claim that this was all disinformation. You were answering the question nobody was really asking over and over again. Thou dost protest too much. And you would have if you would have been doing your job, Rubio, you would have been like, okay, well what exact why are you concerned? Because if they're just research facilities, then we shouldn't have to worry about all this. Well, now the narrative is shifted again. Now the narrative is, well, you see, here's the deal. Guys, really, when the United States or the USSR broke up, Ukraine being one of the, the, the biggest and most important republics within the USSR that got its freedom, had a bunch of weapons. They had biological weapons, chemical weapons, nuclear weapons. And uh, so we went in to help them get rid of it all. That's the new narrative. Well, that was 2005, friends. That's a while ago. How long does it take to get rid of this shit? Well, here's the thing. This is Operation Paperclip 2.0. For those that have never cracked a history book, all the way back in uh, World War II, when we took over Germany, most of it anyway, the Russians took the other side, We got all these nasty Nazis that were developing all these horrible weapons to kill people with. We threw them all in prison and let them rot there and die. No, no, no. No, no. That's not what happened. Is that what your history teacher led you to believe? No. Operation Paperclip was where we took them all. And we actually argued, did we get the better Nazis, the smarter Germans than the Russians? We hope so. We brought them all to the United States and gave them really important jobs to build shit for us. So what we did is we went into these facilities. This is where I'm going into speculation. I think we went in these facilities and went, holy shit, look at all this biological research the uh, the Russians did. We need to keep it. All right. We need we just gotta be careful. We gotta keep some of it. Because now we know what they're building. So now we can develop treatments and countermeasures for it. So we're just gonna keep their research they already have. And then, that way we can be prepared and know what they're doing. We don't want to destroy it, because we're scientists. We're scientists. Scientistologists. Right? We worship the science, and we don't, we can't destroy the research. We'll just say we're destroying the research. Oh, now we have these level three biosecurity labs. We'll just go into these things, and then we'll do our research. Then they're like, wait a minute, you know what? All kinds of shit, we can't do it like Fort Detrick and shit, because it's against them laws. That really apply in the Ukraine. You know, Ukraine is not churning out brand new cancer medications every quarter or anything like that. It's not a hotbed of research and development. It's one of the poorest nations in Europe. It might be the poorest nation in Europe. Why would you have advanced research going on there unless you were circumventing things? So now the narrative's turning to this is all Russia. It's all about Russia develop this stuff. And we're concerned if Russia gets the technology they developed out of those labs, they might use it. Oh, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. They might use it? They might use it. Now, if Russia wanted to use chemical and biological pathogens 
that they developed in the 1990s in freaking Ukraine, I think they have the formula for that shit, and they probably have the ability to do it in to make it in Russia and drop it in Ukraine. I believe it is highly possible and even probable that there may be some sort of chemical or a biological weapons use in Ukraine, and then they're going to say the Russians did it. They got it out of the lab, and then now they used it. You got to be kidding me! But it there it seems like everything is being done to escalate this war instead of us just staying out of it. But the pattern is set over and over. We saw the pattern when. They said, well, Biden administration is sending crack pipes to junkies. No, we're not. They're safety kids. So what happened was the fact-checking site said the accusation was the Biden administration is sending crack pipes and heroin to junkies. And that's completely false. They're sending these things to clean needles and stuff just so they'll be healthier and safer if they're going to use drugs anyway. Well, then somebody got one of them and opened it up and said, here's a crack pipe and here's a meth pipe. I didn't know there was a difference. I'm not a user, so I, I thought you smoked it all and said, apparently not, right? Um, yeah, I. so they change the claim slightly and then deny the entirety of the claim. Bonus points to the first person in the comments there that puts in what kind of fallacy that is. I think I should do a whole, like, collegiate-level course as an episode or two on logical fallacies. Because if you know the logical fallacy, you know when you're looking at it. And the whole world right now is built on logical fallacies. I also wanted to show you this. Like I said, while some of you guys are struggling to fill your gas tanks, and I mean, I know some of you guys, I know some of you guys personally, um, not everybody that listens to TSP is, is knocking down a high income, guys. And those of you that aren't, and you support me with my members program or something, I hope you get your money back. I really do. I hope you're using the discounts because it means a lot to me that some of y'all that, you know, you're out working for 15 bucks an hour and you're supporting a guy like me. Thank you. Apparently your Congress does not feel the same way. Congress just gave itself a 21% raise. Now, if you're making 10 bucks an hour and you get a 21% raise, it feels kind of good, but it, it's it's two bucks. When you're making, you know, what I think Congress makes like 180 grand a year or something like that. Now, 150, 180 grand, 20% on that, man, you you've you've upped your tax bracket again. Of course, you don't pay no taxes because you uh, you're in a position where you're able to avoid paying taxes. Right, and you're able to do insider trading legally because uh, you passed your own law. Says you are, and while Americans are struggling to freaking fill their tanks so they can go to work, if they're lucky enough to still have a job, earning the same wage they were a year ago, or two years ago, or three years ago, for shit that costs ten to a hundred percent more, depending on what you're talking about, it was okay. Here we got a, we got a. Uh, comment I'm going to feature from Roy up in West Virginia. He says 174k. 174k. $34,000 and change raise these assholes gave themselves. And people like the speaker there, Nancy, right? And people like the the majority leader Schumer, they make more than the average. 
And they gave this raise to themselves. This is what people don't know. It applies to all their staff, too. It's not just Congress. It's all of Congress. So all their aides and shit like that, they all get this raise now. Yay. Yay. Wonderful. And you struggle to fill up your gas tank. And then the audacity of these pricks. So while you're trying to figure out how to fill your gas tank... The guy that literally destroyed what was less left of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, who's never done a thing to contribute to society in his life that I could put my finger on, who's now running the Department of Freaking Transportation, says you should just go buy yourself an electric car starting in at around $60,000, if you can get one, because there ain't no damn cars on the lot. Now... I covered these two leading up to a question I took very seriously because when my wife asked me something about my wife does not spend a lot of time worrying about what I do. She likes what I do. She loves the life we live because of it. Spends a lot of time on our property, taking walks with the grandkids when the weather's right. Loves taking care of the ducks and all. Likes that side of it. But when it comes to the hard stuff, she really doesn't want to look at any more than she has to. So when I get a question like this, I give it some serious thought when I respond to it, and I try to be as honest as I can with her, even if I know she doesn't want to hear it. So I said this week, these bastards are destroying America intentionally. There is no way you send Kamala Harris as your envoy to Europe on the eve of a potential World War III if you're serious about making the problem better. There's no way you start banning oil imports during massive inflation and when oil's already high. There's no way that you do that in Europe as well in the middle of winter. There's no way you continue these moronic COVIDian policies right up until you have a new thing. Like So Biden continued this shit and encouraged this shit for a full year until World War III became the new thing to put on TV. You don't do that when you know you would be more popular if you didn't. The people that would be upset with you will forgive you, and the people that don't like you will like you a little bit if you got rid of some of this shit and started advocating for it. You don't literally make every bad move you can unless you want to. And that's why I believe it. And her response to me was, but why? Why would the people running the United States that live here too, even though they live at a totally different level as elitists, why would they do that? It's a simple answer. And simple answers usually are the ones that hurt the most in your heart. Because if you want globalism, if you want global governance... If you want to control the entire planet, your biggest obstacle is the country with the most wealth, the most power, the most spirit of independence. And you have to break it first. You have to break that nation. Because as long as that nation exists, even if you globalize everything else, it will stand as an island alone. It will always be a thorn in your side, and it will always be a symbol to those who have caved that they don't have to. And if you doubt that, 
Which flag did you see the protesters in Hong Kong flying while they were fighting armed people with fucking bows and arrows? What flag? Hong Kong had been a British colony until this two-situation two treaty thing happened. Was it, was it the freaking British flag? Did they make a Hong Kong flag for themselves? Did they decide they wanted to be part of Taiwan and fly the Taiwanese flag? Or did they take the American flag, the red, white, and blue, and did, did, did people in Hong Kong fly America's flag? Which one, folks? We all watched with a lot of admiration when the Canadian truckers had the balls to put the hammer down on those big rigs and go to Ottawa knowing what they were risking. Surround Ottawa and honk and honk and honk until the freaking government cried like little bitch babies. And I saw a lot of Canadian flags in Ottawa. But I saw a lot of American flags. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Canadians fighting for Canadian freedom, flying the American flag. Hong Kong citizens fighting for their rights against the Chinese government, who will use any and all violence against them, flying the American flag. And I want you to ask yourself, how many times have you seen that in the history? How many times have you seen that in the history of protests around the world. Let me tell you something that you won't learn in your history books. Remember a guy named Ho Chi Minh? Real bad guy. Leader. North Vietnam. Rallied his people. Fought to reunify Vietnam. Take South Vietnam back. And, and in the end, though, he wasn't alive to see it. Won that fight. Horrible guy. Communist. I'm not saying he was a great guy now, but you know who one of his biggest heroes was? Thomas Jefferson. Ho Chi Minh wrote multiple letters to the United States government saying, we, have, we are no threat to the American people whatsoever. We know that the guy you, you installed in the south of Vietnam could not stand without you propping him up. All we want for our nation is self-determination. Nobody of any importance even read those letters because they were filtered out and thrown away into the dustbins of history. Fortunately, there's records of them, and you can check on it if you want to. The United States and the way we live is so inspiring to the world that people on the eve of war with us still admire how we got where we are. They have to break us to make their plans work. And you can't do it with the military. Some more bullshit from history. I suppose I can't remember the admiral's name, but some Japanese admiral that said some shit about you'd never invade the United States because there'd be a rifle behind every blade of grass. It never happened. And, and, and at the time, in Imperial Japan, if an admiral would have said something like that, part of how we know it never happened, there's no actual record, just people making it up, but he would have been fired immediately, probably had his head cut off. Because you wouldn't say show weakness before the enemy like that. But the sentiment's real. If you think it's hard to hold Afghanistan, think about holding America as a foreign power. Even if you can beat the very impressive military hardware we have. Stick your hand up, metaphorically, in the chat if that 
would not work for you. If you might say once, if you might say once that you know military engagement was lost and there were troops walking around in America saying this is now part of China or Russia or make up a nation, how many of you might start popping the shit out of somebody in the head and being smart about how you did it too? You know, they, we, we call the snipers when they're shooting our guys cowards because they take one shot and leave. That's what our snipers do. That's the whole point. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a hell of a lot of, of country boys, hicks, and even guys that look like city boys in this country that can pop you from far, far away and just go, sorry about your luck. We know how to blow shit up. We know how, to be blunt, we know how to fuck shit up. This nation would be impossible to hold militarily. And if, it, if you did it, it'd be, a, it'd be like a half-century war. It'd be a 50-year war until you broke all the old-timers like us. If you were lucky. And it would not be profitable. And it would not be a good way to go. And before you start thinking, that's great. That's wonderful. That makes us safe. What happens when your people that are supposed to be leading your country are part of a greater plan to destroy you from within? That's what's happening. There's no way you're appointing someone to the, to, to the rank of general because they're trans. And you're forcing good officers, lieutenant colonels, for instance, that gave their entire lives to their countries out because they won't get a shot. You don't do that by accident. They are trying to make this country into a weak enough nation that will go along and get along. And here's the scary part. They're doing a damn good job of it, folks. This leads me to my next thing. I had somebody in particular, a little YouTube troll, get angry with me because one of my videos, I was wearing a shirt that said, Let's Go Brandon on it. A little cat in the hat up in the chest pocket said, Let's Go Brandon. And when I, when I mentioned that, I... I put that little banner across the bottom there like is there now. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Right? And, and this guy said, well, right? He, he, he calls himself an anarchist, by the way. I, I'm skeptical. I, I'm, I'm skeptical because I went and looked at, like, his subscriptions on YouTube. When somebody tells me something like that, like, I want to believe them and I want to understand them. But when I don't see, like, you know, at least... Monetize trolls, K-Bonk, that's a good idea. I'm not sure how we're going to do that yet since we already have a sale going on, but maybe we could come up with something. I'll think about it over the weekend. Um, so he said, did you ever wear a shirt mocking Obama or mocking Trump or mocking Bush? And I'm like, well, first of all, a, a person that I like and like to advertise his brand for him because he's been good to me since I started the show never sent me a shirt that did that, or I would have. I called all of these people ass clowns all the way back to, to Bush Jr. When I started the show, Bush Jr. was president. Tell you how long we've been around. And I like anything that mocks any president. But I also said, you know, looking back at it, I would have probably taken any president that's been in office back to Reagan before this right now. And I'm, I'm not saying that if Obama was president, this same shit wouldn't be happening, but the Obama that was in office for eight years 
was not this incompetent. Now, again, I think the incompetence on purpose, but I would take the competency of the Obama administration that Joe Biden is a VP before the incompetence of the one that has Biden, Biden as president. And I mentioned sending Harris to Europe on the eve of World War III. And he's gone off on a little troll tantrum. I, we won't dig into it much more than to say that. But this is like it's like it's hurting his heart, I think, that I dare to tell you there's two sides to the story in Ukraine. That's what's really making some people lose their minds right now. They can't handle it. But why do I like Let's Go Brandon? I like anything that gets the average person to realize that the people in charge of this country are shitbags. I don't care if they're Republicans, Democrats, Independents. The majority of people in our government are in on this. They're allowing it to happen. You have some Republicans, you know, grandstanding and making some statements. But just like Marco Rubio, when you get someone from the Biden administration in the chair in front of you and they admit that there are biolabs in the Ukraine that the U.S. funded and they're concerned that the Russians might get control of what's inside them. And the next question is, well, do you think Russia might, like, you know, use chemical or biological weapons in Ukraine? Well, I think they might. And then you just go on from there and you don't press that? You accidentally spilled the beans and you're covering your ass. What they're doing is they're putting up this intellectual level of a potato president so that it looks like this is all incompetence and they're letting it happen. And we need to accept that it's happening. We need to get off of this. It can't happen here. We need to get off of this. There's going to be a nuclear war. Why do you need a nuclear war? What could do more destruction to this country yet preserve its innate resources better than the shit they're doing right now? So we need to take responsibility for ourselves before we switch to solutions because we're fixing to go there. I've been recommending that you guys consider using DuckDuckGo as an alternative search engine to Google. I can't recommend that anymore. I'm not saying don't use it at all. <clears throat> I'm just saying don't use it if you have an alternative. And I think there's a lot of things like that. We should use our alternatives first. So the, the president of DuckDuckGo, who has always promised to be impartial, has now come out and say they're going to join the disinformation on, from Russia censorship bandwagon. Look. Dickhead, and I'm talking right to you now. I don't need you. I don't need you to censor shit for me. I'm a grown-ass adult. When I look up something on the Internet, I actually read what the hell it says. We don't need you to be a baby daddy for us. We all have parents. Most of us are old enough now that sadly our parents are no longer with us. Okay? We can figure shit out. We can read We don't need you to do that for us. And as far as I'm concerned, you're actually worse than Google. But we're only censoring one thing. Yeah, but you promised not to. Google never promised not to. They pretended they weren't going to, but if you read what they actually said, they never stood up and promised to be for free speech. They did promise not to do evil, but evil's in the eye of the beholder. And then they took that down. You stood up and said you existed solely for the purpose 
of being alternative so that people could find information and make a decision for themselves. Well, bluntly, fuck you. You're done. Off my browser. Goodbye. I'll use something else. Right? Uh, Kathy Reese says Blaze is a good search engine. Now, we'll give DuckDuckGo one little prop before we go on and start talking about some solutions here and some happy shit. And that is that, well, when I searched up censorship, DuckDuckGo censorship, the, the piece I just showed you was the number one result on DuckDuckGo. So they may be censoring things, but maybe they're not very good at it. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that I'm not going to... You know, I'll tolerate Google when I can't find what I'm looking for elsewhere because I know what Google is and I know what Google's about. I'll use YouTube because I have almost, what, 50,000 plus subscribers and I reach a lot of people and it works. Right? I would really push harder for Odyssey or Float if they were able to link with StreamYard and I was able to see your comments like I can see MGB's comment right there and I could do this interaction, right? I'm using what works where it has. But I am not going to use. I am not going to use DuckDuckGo anymore. I'll, I'll use Google right now before I use DuckDuckGo because Google's scum, but they admit that they're scum. And I would rather deal with scum that admit that it's scum than deal with freaking posers and players. All right, let's go on to something else. I've been talking a lot about aquaculture lately. I think it's one of the most important things that we can learn about in our society. And the Eastern nations, East, East Asian nations, Japan, China, Singapore, uh, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, all the way down into the islands, down into the Philippines, huge tradition of aquaculture. And when people hear aquaculture, they think fish. And we're going to talk about fish here. But it's not just fish. The vegetative systems that you can do with aquaculture are huge. Um, when I built out my syllabus for this course that I'm going to be releasing, I have one section that's on nothing but edible plants that you can grow in these systems. And this is not aquaponics, though there's some aquaponics-like components in it. This is aquaculture. It's actually a lot easier and it does a lot more um, for, for the same or less money, by the way. You get a better yield. But I have 14 species, right, 14 species of edible plants, some of them that can produce, you know, massive amounts of food for you from a very, very small area. And you know all the shit that I just talked about where they're going to try to break America? I hate saying this, but they might do it. You can't do it with the military, but you can do it by corrupting the government that is running the country. The pilot can put the plane into the ground. The pilot can actually crash the plane softly in the middle of the mountains if he wants to. If the pilot just wants everybody stuck somewhere, he can make it happen. You've got a lot of pilots that seem to be heading right for, you know, maybe not the ocean, but empty fields and stranded people. So we need as much resilience as we can have, and I think this is a good way for resilience. And I thought of an interesting way to explain it to you. A lot of y'all are hunt, hunters and, and fishermen. And you'll say something like, boy, I got a lot of dog hair on me from my conversation with Charlie this morning. You'll say something like, hey, uh, you know, if things get really tight, I can always just pick my fishing pole up. And I know all kinds of little holes here and there where I can catch fish. 
And one of the fish that, that I personally love, some people don't, and I think it's just because you don't understand it and you, you believe bullshit, is the bullhead catfish. And another fish I, I dearly love is bluegill. Uh, and it can be actual bluegill or it can be everything in that kind of sunfish, sunny perch, call it whatever you want to, family. We're not going to get into arguing about perch. That's what they call them in the south, even though they're wrong. Let it go. It's okay. Um, so I'll go out and catch these things. So you know what happens when you go out and you target those kinds of panfish. For every nice pan-sized one you catch, you catch four or five little bitty ones. Now, what most of you do, because you don't want to take little bitty ones home that aren't worth keeping, and you want them to be there so you can catch them again later when they grow up nice and big and strong, and fill the pan out and throw them back. Hopefully they don't stick you in a hand if you don't know what you're doing. What do I do? I take all the nice pan-sized ones and I put them in a bucket. But my bucket has bubbles going in it. I take all the itty-bitty ones. Well, I'll put them in the bucket, too. See, there's no size limit on those guys. Like They're not game fish. So then I come home, and I've got my grow-out ponds. And i got a couple smaller grow-out ponds. And my little bitty catfish all go in the catfish grow-out pond. And then my little bitty bluegills all go in the bluegill grow-out pond. And if I look at the big ones and I go, you know, I don't really feel like cleaning fish tonight, and that freezer's awful full. Big ones go in the big boy pond. And they just increase the, you know, maybe I took some out last week, and now I'm replacing what I took. And eventually, I'll really harvest the hell out of the big boy pond, and all my little brood stock that's down here in the little, little boy and girl pond goes into the big pond. And then we can go back fishing again, and get a bunch of little ones, which are always easy to catch, and they go in the little boy pond. You want to store food? High nutrient, high protein, high fat food? Because yes, catfish have a lot of fat in them. Bluegills not so much, but there's other ways we can add fat to bluegills, right? But you want to store it? Okay, I'm going to tell you it's something flat out. You go get yourself another deep freezer. You have to plug that sucker in the wall. Your deep freezer uses every bit as much energy as my little pump. In fact, my little pump that runs that pond uses less. At any given time, I have hundreds of fish from broodstock that are growing up to great big harvestable ones that I can walk out in my backyard, throw a line in, and pull out. Or if I need to harvest them all, I can drain the pond and get in there with a net pick all the ones out that I want to harvest, put all the ones aside that I want to put back in, refill, clean out, use it as a maintenance opportunity, and put them back in there. Why do you think they do this in Asia the way they do? You don't think they farm fish right in with the rice? Large scale, small scale, it doesn't matter. Bill Mollison said, if you give a Chinaman a teacup, he'll put a fish in it. I don't think he was being literal, but he was trying to make a point. It is one of the most productive systems you can do. So I've been killing myself putting this syllabus together. When I get the syllabus done, I'm going to start building the PowerPoint decks, and I'm going to be putting together a website. Tom, out there, if you're listening, you're going to be helping, whether you know it or not yet. Uh, and I found a plug-in that's designed for educational websites. And... We're going to have at least a 14-chapter uh, course. We're going to go into everything. 
We're going to cover everything to where when people, but I can't do it because I'm up north. Do you have ponds near you that fish live through the winter in? Yeah, then you can do it. It's a matter of depth and some other creative things. We're going to talk about ways to heat your pond with no energy inputs that are direct. We're going to talk about how to do this on any scale from itty-bitty to great big. And we're going to talk, and it's, I'm just going to say up front, though, it is not going to be, somebody's asking, the, we'll, we'll get to the cost. I haven't determined the cost yet, but it's probably going to be about 300 bucks. And some of you might be like, ooh, guys, the amount of work that I'm putting into this, I can't do it for free. I give a, and, and most of the information is in pieces, parts throughout 14 years of doing this. If you want it like that, then, you know, and I'm going to see if I can do it for less. And I'm definitely going to, if we do 300, I'm going to do something like you can do 300 or you can do like three payments of 125 or something. I mean, I'm not going to try to ride anybody out of this, but I also think that people value things more when they pay for them. And this is going to come with, a certification at the end as well. And, guys, I try not to have a big ego. I know sometimes I think seem like I do because I speak with passion. But I don't really pump myself up or anything. But I think when it comes to this subject, there isn't anybody that can do a better job with this than I can. K-Bonk says NFT, and I don't think so. It's complicated enough. Maybe we'll do some sort of NFT. Maybe we'll do an NFT on the certification. But that would that would, it would be non-transferable. But maybe the NFT on certification means that you have. We'll we'll, we'll look at that. I'm, I'm not real worried about NFTs there. But Tom, it's it's going to be easy, dude. It's going to be make the website look half-ass okay. You already know probably the domain that's there because you set the blog up on it and install a plugin. We'll, we'll get to that maybe this weekend. Uh, but I am looking at several months to have this uh, done. I was thinking about. Um, Doing it as a live, interactive thing, and I'm not gonna. It's going to make it a lot easier if I just do it, load up the coursework, and then have it all populated. So when you log in, you go to Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3. You're going to take quizzes at the end of it. The quizzes are not really to hamper you or to make it hard. It's to make sure that you feel... That, you, that you've gotten the information down. So it'll probably be something like, at 70% accuracy, you can go to the next chapter, but we recommend you don't. We recommend you review and retake. At 60%, you, you can't go forward. you got to redo it. You know, 80% or above, you, you've got enough. And then we'll have like a comprehensive final exam, which we'll just pull from all of those quizzes. And I think it needs to be that way. Again, it's not... The, the testing will not be to make it hard... It will be to make sure that you get what you paid for, and you know you got what you're paid for. And I think this is going to be probably the best thing I've ever done. And and I'll see if I can pull the price a little bit down. But I I, I don't think anybody that takes it and implements it is ever going to think about that 300 bucks ever again, in my opinion. Um, next up, let's talk about foraging a few things or growing things that you could forage if it doesn't actually grow where you are. I featured a plant called Bloody Dock. It's also known as uh, blood vein sorrel, and it's a sorrel species, and it's a good aquatic plant, by the way. It grows in marshy, boggy, wet areas or anywhere soil stays moist. It doesn't have to be aquatic. It's a beautiful plant. Chefs buy it like crazy from people that grow it as a baby green and a microgreen. It's something when they make a salad, they put two or three leaves of it on there, and it just looks amazing. 
sets the plate off. It has a really interesting kind of lemony, spinachy flavor without the bitterness. In, well, not the type of bitterness spinach has, a different type of bitterness. It's a great plant, and I love it. Grow the hell out of it. I eat it a lot. I love taking a couple leaves of it and putting it on a bunless burger. Uh, I love it in my salads. It's, it's great. Well, I put this out, and I had a guy say, um, you don't eat that often, do you? And I knew exactly where he was going. And I said, I'll probably be dead by next week because I eat it whenever the hell I feel like it, right? And here's the issue. So there is a toxin. In, there are toxins in plants. Almost every plant has some certain toxin. And it's why, like, no diet should really be based on one thing, especially plants. Plants don't have teeth and claws, and they can't run away. So they've developed different biological defenses. But they're not like a human. You try to kill me, I'm going to kill you back, right? Plants kind of develop this kind of broad-spectrum toxicity. And some of them are highly deadly, but most of them have these minute amounts of toxicity. It's enough for survival of their species. As long as they're not over-consumed, they can continue to propagate, especially if a plant that propagates from a perennial root system like Bloody Dock. Well, the one that's in Bloody Dock is called oleic acid, and if you eat enough oleic acid, you can cause problems for yourself. You have to eat an awful lot of Bloody Dock. You have to be like eating a Bloody Dock salad every day to do this. If you're throwing a few Bloody Dock leaves on a salad on Monday and a few on a burger on Tuesday and maybe this week, you can just forget about this stupid warning. It's the same shit with comfrey. Comfrey's toxic if you use it internally. If you eat 60,000 leaves of it in a quarter, yes, it is. Because that's when they, when they tested the rats that they went on a war against comfrey and told people they couldn't eat it. That's what was going on. And the people, they, they cited like in the whole world, in 10,000 years of using this plant by humans, they cited like half a dozen people that had liver damage because they were using comfrey. And all of them were using concentrated comfrey in capsules at incredibly high doses of, of concentrations of the compounds that could have never happened from dietary use. I don't know if you've ever eaten a comfrey leaf. It's not that good. But all through the summer, when I'm making teas in the mornings, I'll walk around and I'll be like, oh, look, the, uh, the hazelnut mint's looking really nice. Pluck. You know what? You know because what hazelnut mint, iced hazelnut mint? You didn't know there's ice? Wait, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later in the year, the iced hazelnut mint. You know what else would be good? A little, little straight-up peppermint, a little lemon balm, a little bee balm. Oh, look at the baby comfrey leaf. Boom, that's tonifying. Let's put that in there. Hot water, French press, set it aside for five minutes. I ain't dead yet. If there is any problems with my liver, it's because of my years of drinking more than I should in alcohol. I ain't from a damn comfrey leaf. A lot of these things that are somewhat toxic are also tonifying. Every medicine is toxic at the wrong dose. right? Everything that can do a thing in your body can do too much of it. We need to not be afraid of the things that mankind has used for food and medicine for thousands of years. If you're self-dosing for congestive heart failure with digitalis, that's a different world. But you're going to eat too much spinach? You're going you're gonna to eat too much freaking uh, bloody dock? You're going to use too much comfrey internally? Bullshit. Don't listen to the fear-mongering crap. It's all about disempowerment. You know, why would we want to make people think comfrey's dangerous? Look at all the things comfrey does medicinally. And then imagine you are somebody that sells medicinal shit on the shelves of grocery stores. Why, why indeed? Why indeed? Anyway, moving on from there, another thing on foraging. How about this? 
Black locust season is almost here. You're like, dummy, there's black locusts all the time. Black locust is a miracle tree, in my opinion. It's not, it's not something we should hate. It can be a problem when there's too much of it growing too densely in the wrong place. But it's an incredible fuel wood. It's an incredible timber. And you know, like wood handles and fence posts and things like that. It's incredibly strong. It's a beautiful wood if you let it actually get big enough to mill it. It really is. It's gorgeous. It grows straight and round. It's like a perfect timber tree. It does all that. And it nitrifies soil. And if you cut it down... It freaking grows back. And if you like, when you see it sucker like this, if you cut all the suckers and train one main stem, it grows back as a single tree. It's amazing. But there's one thing. Look, see, here we go. Here we go. Here, see, look at this. Look, look, green country, I'm going to pick on you. I'm sorry. Oleic asking can be found in spinach. Too much will lead to kidney stone formations. But I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to pick on you. But I'm not going to quit going to quit eating spinach on that account. Nobody's going to eat that much spinach, right? Nobody's going to eat enough of it, like unless you're in some weird, like spinach cult. Like who the hell eats that much spinach? All right, we're back on a black locust, right? So if you go out and you go, that looks like a bean, and you pick those little pods on a black locust, that shit will mess you up. Don't do that. That's not even okay with a little bit. But where do those beans come from? Well, first they're flowers, beautiful white flowers. They look like raining white big giant snowdrops or raindrops on locust trees. And they smell pretty. They're delicious. And if you pull one off the tree and you eat it, and there's nothing toxic about them, you can eat as many as you want and you ain't going to eat too many because they don't store for, you can't dehydrate, I tried it, dehydrating them doesn't work. It's no good. It's not useful. You pick them when, before they completely open when they're closed. You pull that thing off the tree and you eat it. And it tastes like sweet, just sweet, Then it tastes like pea, not that kind of pea. The kind of pea that you eat, like snow pea. And then it's just gone. And they're beautiful on salads. And you get about most climates, you get two, three weeks tops where you can, you can pick them and use them. And I think that one of those things that makes life interesting is having these things that only come around for a short period of time. So mine are just now starting to form little buds. And they'll probably be in flower in two or three weeks. For some of y'all up north, it might be a lot longer. But if you have black locusts around you, this is a great thing to teach your kids that nature provides. But sometimes she only provides for a short period of time. And sometimes it's not something that we're going to live on or survive on. It's just a treat from Mother Nature if we have the knowledge. So I want to throw that in today. And we're going to move on to Bitcoin now. I had a question when I did this a few weeks ago and I asked people. I just didn't, you didn't make the cut. Mining with GPUs versus stacking SATs is what they said. They didn't ask me anything about ASICs. And, um, and, and they, they, their thought was, I can go into mining, I can have an anonymity for the Bitcoin that I acquire, uh, and I can get the tax write-offs. Okay, so you're going to use the tax write-offs. You're going to tell the government you're in the crypto mining business. So there goes your anonymity. They don't know the addresses, but they don't know the addresses anyway if you are smart about how you earn crypto anyway. And I would say it's easier to earn crypto uh, than to mine crypto, especially not earn Bitcoin versus mine Bitcoin. We're talking about only Bitcoin today. But I thought this was actually good for a, a, an entrepreneurial tax lesson. If I buy a piece of equipment, and that equipment really exists for the purpose of mining cryptocurrency, Bitcoin in this case, 
And then I plug electricity into it, and that electricity runs this piece of equipment to mine Bitcoin. And I actually get some Bitcoin out of it. Those expenses are real expenses, and I have not advantaged myself over just buying the Bitcoin. You see how that works? Because there, there is no negotiation on whether or not the piece of equipment costs money, and there's no negotiation on whether or not the electricity costs money, and take either one away, and no Bitcoin shall appear. Now, the person also asked about GPUs. You're not going to mine Bitcoin with GPUs. Say it one more time. Forget it. Forget it. You're not going to you're not going to you're not going to mine Litecoin with GPUs. You have to step up to ASICs. They're very expensive. It's going to take time to pay them back, plus the energy. Yes, if you do it, I'm not saying not to do it. I'm saying yes, if you do it, write off the expenses. But the expenses are not an advantage. They are a reality. Now, if you can create a crypto mining business or a Bitcoin mining business, and you can start to do things like deduct some of your meals and stuff like that underneath it, and that's what you mean, okay, then that's bringing lifestyle costs into the business. Different subject, and it, there's no reason to go into the, the Bitcoin mining space for that unless you want to go there anyway. Don't make the decision on that, right? Um, but here's what you can do. If you, if you do want to do GPU mining, you can set up as a miner on NiceHash, and when somebody wants to mine diddly do coin or whatever, um, and, and Arblast, I'm not even going to... I'm going to unstar you because I don't need I'll comment on this right now. He said, you can mine Bitcoin with two miners with GPUs, right? Not profitably. We're just not going to pretend you can. Sorry, we're not going to do it. Um, but don't go into a business for tax write-offs. Go into the business you want to be in and then take advantage of pulling lifestyle costs into the business. Um, I think mining is a great thing. It really is. But I'm, I'm not going to go there for the purpose of a tax write-off. And with Bitcoin, in my opinion, the easiest thing for most people to do is to buy it. Or do something in return for it. And look at that as your mining. There's multiple parts of how we can support the Bitcoin economy. Mining and running nodes are one of them. But another way is to actually offer product and or service in return for Bitcoin so there's a place for the Bitcoin to go rather than just be hodled by everybody. And that moves me to my next thing. People talk about Bitcoin being a hedge against inflation. I, I don't think that it is. I don't think Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation in the short term as a guarantee. Food is a hedge against inflation in the short term. Food will, if you go and you stock up on food this week and we have massive inflation this month, you will, you will have hedged inflation properly. Self-employment income is a hedge against inflation because you have the ability to throttle it up. You have the ability to raise your price. You can't just raise your price as an hourly employee. You have Bitcoin, gold, silver can be limited but not guaranteed hedges against inflation. But what the Ukraine, Ukraine, Uh, Russian war has shown us is Bitcoin is a hedge against government. Because the government keeps talking about regulating Bitcoin, limiting Bitcoin, restricting Bitcoin. One more time. The government can do absolutely nothing to prevent anybody, anywhere, from sending Bitcoin from one person to another person, period, the end. They can't do anything. Not at all. Now, 
if you're using Coinbase or you're using Bittrex, right, or insert name of exchange here, yes, they can. But they're not restricting Bitcoin. They're restricting account access. And this is why, like, I am not a nitpicker, guys. When somebody says clip and they meant magazine when they're talking about guns, I don't get upset. By the way, they're not guns if you want to be technical. They're rifles, right? Okay? Guns are different than rifles in the military if you want to get all nitpicked. I don't do that. But when somebody says Bitcoin account, I do. And I do because it's actually important. You think in accounts, bank accounts, social security accounts, you know, healthcare savings accounts, retirement accounts, credit accounts. Credit accounts is a credit card, credit accounts is a mortgage. It's all in accounts. There's an account that's held by somebody somewhere else, and it's always a bank in the end. Right? It's always a bank in the end. And that's why when you have people like Sal Mayweather say, be your own bank, that's what he means, is that there is no account. A Bitcoin address is not an account number. It's not an account. And not only is Bitcoin a hedge against government, its true purpose is to regulate government. And all of that together is why some of you are scared of it. You've lived your whole life with the state and the bank holding your hand on every little thing you ever did with money. Even when you dealt in cash, that money is a Federal Reserve note, the biggest bank in the world. And they guaranteed that $5 bill or that $20 bill or what have you. And you only had so much of that cash at one time on you because you always knew your money was safer in the bank in an account that government controls, that government can inflate, that government can change the rules, that government can lock down. And you are, a, I'm not picking on you, but in some ways you are a caged little bird. And somebody came along and said, hey, little bird, look, the keeper done left the door open. Fly. And you think, but what if I fly and the door's closed and I can't get back in my cage? What if I fly and the cat eats me? What if I fly and I hit something? And that's why I get emails every week. Jack, I want to buy Bitcoin, but I'm scared. Well, why are you scared? Get Strike, get Coinbase. Any of these places I just said not to hold your Bitcoin. Get there, set up an account. It's like setting up a PayPal account. Anybody can do it. They'll let you. Okay? Then figure out a way to fund it. Wire, transfer, debit card, PayPal, whatever. And take the money you want to buy, buy Bitcoin with and say, buy Bitcoin, $35, right? Because some of y'all, you're scared to buy $35 fucking dollars worth of Bitcoin. Stop being scared. And then you bought $35 worth of Bitcoin. Woo you. You did it. Now get yourself a wallet. And until you have lots of Bitcoin, a software wallet is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Stop being scared. Download Exodus. Generate an address. Send it from Coinbase to Exodus. Watch it show up and then realize you now control it. You now have custody. There's magic numbers and a magic phrase. And without that, and cracking that with brute force is like looking for one grain of sand on one unknown planet in the known universe. It's that hard. It's yours. Unless you let that information out, it's yours. No one can take it from you and then feel that power. And if that first transaction goes wrong, it's 35 bucks.
figure out what you did wrong and do it again until you get it right. Send yourself ten bucks. You have twenty-five to try again with. Don't. It's fees. It's thirty-five dollars. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The doors open, little bird. Fly. It scares you because it scares them, and you've been taught that your dictators are benevolent. They're not. Little bird, they're holding you in a cage the way you keep a quail in a cage. You're taking its eggs, and one day, off goes the head, bacon goes around the breast, and it goes on the grill. That's fine for a quail. It's not okay with me. I'm not going to be a quail. I'm not a quail. I'm a freaking goose. I'll mess you up. Bitcoin is one of the ways that you're a goose. Bitcoin is one of the ways that you make it happen. Stop being afraid of it. It won't hurt you. You're not getting in trouble for doing it. Next up, let's talk about something totally different. Leave Bitcoin alone. Will summer heat damage a grapevine on a metal trellis? And I'll have to change it from grapevine to grapevine, which I meant to put in there. I have a typo on my notes. Um, maybe, but I'll tell you how you handle it. So my grandfather had two huge Concord grapevines. I mean, the bottom vines were bigger around than my forearms are today that I took care of as a kid. And they were on this weird metal thing. I don't even know what the hell it was. It was some crap that he found and set up and put together, and it kind of draped over like this, and our cold frame where we started our plants was underneath it. So the sun came through in the spring, and then it shaded it out for fall garden stuff. So it was less oppressive in the uh, heat. Pennsylvania is not Texas, but we still have plenty of 90-plus degree days in our summers, and they're very long summers, so it's longer exposures to that sun, and it never was a problem. Why wasn't it a problem? Because by the time the sun got really intense, even though you prune back the vines, you have a lot of shade on the trellis. And you always want, if you can, you always want to face your vines at the sun, right? So if you're in one hemisphere or the other, that'll change, north or south, right? In our hemisphere, you want the vines kind of angled at the south, and you want to train, because your leaves, if you do that, are going to come this way. They're going to grow on the sunny side. And you're going to do some thinning and stuff. I'm not going to get into exactly how you prune and, and care for grapes. I'm not that great at it anyway. But that's, that's the basics of what you want to do. But when you said the person said metal trellis, they didn't say like, well, is this like a big old honking hunk of black metal? Is this wire? What, what are we looking at? So when you, and I'm going to assume, but you can adapt this depending on how you want to train your grapes. I'm going to assume that you're going to do a classic grape training, which is you've got a center stalk coming up, trunk coming up, and you have cordons is what they call them coming out to the side. And at some point you limit the length of that cordon, you cut it off, and you stop it there, and then that becomes your mainframe. And you can either do, you know, kind of your trunk and two cordons, or your trunk and two layers of so four cordons. And about the only thing that's really in danger, because you're going to leaf out and shade the trellis, is that trunk coming up, and that metal against that trunk, especially when it's not a big giant wrist or forearm size, brand new baby grapevine. It's still kind of green and tender. All you have to do is take the same type of foam you put around the pipe so that it doesn't um, freeze and put that around the part of your trellis where you train your trunk up. And if, you, if you're not going to get enough leaf out and you're going to have some scalding potential of that mainframe, put it along where you train your cordons out or however you're training, wherever that main part of the vine's going to be, 
just insulate it from there and tie it very loosely. You're going to get a lot of rapid growth, and it's going to get a lot thicker per season, especially that second season. It's, really, it's like third season is when you're supposed to take your first grapes. And then you know, you're going to retie every year, and by the time that thing becomes a true trunk and it actually becomes uh, more like the bark of a tree, you don't have to really worry about it anymore. And then all of your regrowth every year is going to be so well shaded it won't matter. But this is an issue. And, th yeah, pool noodle would work. Somebody's saying that. Um, you know, anything that basically just protects that young vine until it hardens from the trellis. And the rest of it is fine. All right. Um, next up, what do we got? Uh, going from social media lurker to social media influencer. And I don't even know if this person really wants to be an influencer in the way that word is used. But uh, her, I believe her name was Margaret on Instagram. Said, you know, basically she lurks and and she's trying to develop the courage to develop a social media presence. It's a hard question for me because I've never been afraid to develop a presence. Uh, I've never been afraid to stand in front of a room of people and, and give a talk. So it's hard for me to get myself in the mindset of someone that would be afraid to post pictures of their garden. But I'm not picking on that person or saying there's anything wrong with that person. I understand the value of having different people with different mindsets, introverts and extroverts and things like that. But, Margaret, really the only thing you can do is do it. And here's the beautiful thing about social media. Unless you're out doing really stupid shit, Like, you know, I don't know, getting giant boob jobs and having it filmed and then, like, having tattoos done on them or whatever crazy shit, sticking dynamite in your ass or whatever people come up with. In the very beginning, you're not going to go viral. You're not going to have that many people looking at you. And I, I wonder, some people may be afraid of, of it taking off too quickly and being too exposed. You can always delete an account if you decide you don't want to do it anymore. Or you can always turn it into a private account or whatever. Um, but I think more more what it is that people probably fear is they'll do it and no one will pay attention. Well, that's going to happen in the beginning. No one's going to care. I don't even have that strong of a social media presence, especially given how many listeners we have of this podcast. It's not that strong. I've never really taken the approach that social media was my wheelhouse. It's just kind of like if my people are on social media, that percentage of my people will get communicated with. I look at it like a phone or an email. That's all I do. But you can build a lot of power with social media, and I just think you need to do it if you want to do it. Just start posting things that you find interesting. Don't worry about whether other people find it interesting. And I think that it will. what will happen if you do that is you might build a small following relative to a lot of people, but you'll have a lot more influence. You have a lot more influence. I've had people come on TSP. I mean, I had people come on TSP when we had like 50,000 audio downloads in 48 hours, which is a lot. That's a big show, but we're way bigger than that now. But it was nowhere near as like they would go on, a, they'd get lucky and get on like Glenn Beck's radio show or something like that, you know, 4 million listeners. And they were like, holy crap, I got more people buying my stuff from being on your podcast than from being on Glenn Beck, you know, on the morning show. And that's because those people are driving in their car, listening to the radio, changing the channel, whatever. And it's just some guy they heard on Glenn Beck where when you build community and then you bring somebody in that community, there's a whole different level of connection. You have a lot more ability to influence your community than you do just because you're some mega brand. And I'm even including you know, social media mega brands. Like I'm not putting it down. Uh, my nephew and my niece-in-law, they, they make their entire living from social media. 
uh, and they can they can move a lot of product. But if you look at it in relative terms, how much can they move as a percentage of the whole? I can move a hell of a lot more because it's a different approach. And either is good. Just figure out what works for you. And then my last question before I start going through your stuff, and if you want to get anything in and get it started, and there's a bunch of them there, so I would do it quick because I'm not going to come back around on it when I switch over. When to move from hobby business to sole proprietorship to like an LLC or an S-Corp? Again, CPA, minimum, talk to your CPA. But this person said, when is there enough money to warrant it? That's not the right way to look at it. If you're a sole proprietorship, meaning you're a business but you're not incorporated, there's almost nothing that you can't deduct that if you changed over to an LLC or an S-Corp. I said almost, if Matthew's out there, almost nothing you can't deduct as far as an expense. A person running a sole proprietorship can certainly take advantage of home office expenses as long as you can justify it. And you can you can always justify it if you're smart about it. You don't try to claim your half your house as your, your home office. Um, you can do just about anything without moving there. Now, there are certain things that maybe, you know, so if I'm going to incorporate, even though it's not a corporation, do I go to an LLC, limited liability company, or do I go to an S-Corp? Okay. Well, it depends. If you are an S-Corp, one of the things you can do that is, I don't think possible with an LLC is you could pay yourself a salary and then take distribution separately and not pay Social Security taxes on the distribution, where if you paid it to yourself as a salary, you would have to pay Social Security tax on it. If you do business as an LLC, all the, all the money is pass-through income. Okay, All the money is pass-through income. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that Every dime that comes into the LLC that's not spent by the LLC is an expense. If you're the only owner of it, it you don't even need to do it. What's called a K-2 form. It's just a straight expense to, uh, to income ratio. But if you have partners, let's say you had four partners in an LLC, then you'll do accounting at the LLC level, and every partner will get what's called a K-2 form. And that K-2 will say, this is the, the income of the LLC you're responsible for. And even if you don't take it out of the company... It's as if you were paid it as income. So it's subject not just to income tax, but SSI taxes and Medicare and all that shit. Where if you set up as an S-corporation, you can do a distribution to yourself as an individual and separate those. And that can save some money. But do you go do that because Jack Spearco, the redneck hippie duck farmer, said to? No. You sit down with your accountant and say, let's look at the amount of money that's coming in. Because here's a situation where... None of this makes any sense other than for legal protection. Bill has a job. Bill makes $120,000 a year at his job. And I think they've raised the cap, but Bill's very close to the cap on Social Security. His employer's paying his matching. He also has hit a home run, and his side hustle's netting him sixty grand a year. And he's not ready to leave his job yet. There's no point worrying about the little bit of SSI that Bill matches out of his side hustle because the vast majority or all of it's being paid by his employer on the other side of the income so there's nothing there 
So if, if Bill's worried about some legal protections of corporate formation or wants to expand the business or wants to bring in partners or wants some other form of flexibility, fine, but his, tax foot, his taxes are going to look pretty much the same. So that's just one example. And there's a hundred questions I'd have before I'd say, this is what I think you should do. And then I would still say, now go have this conversation with your CPA. Again, I cover this just to realize, make you realize what is possible. And then so you can go have these informed conversations with your tax professional or with your tax attorney. And then when they don't know what you're talking about, then you can find a new one. Now, I want to be clear. There's a difference in not knowing what you're talking about and saying that redneck hippie duck farmer is wrong and here's why. I might be wrong or I might be wrong for you. And so that's a good answer. I don't know what you're talking about is a want-want replace answer. So let's go through some of our starred stuff. Some of it's questions. Some of it's just comments that people, I guess, wanted featured. John says, liars, liars, they are, in refer to the media. John, you've graduated. You have, uh, have superior pattern recognition, and you know to doubt everything that they say. And we have shrieking language here, for those that know what that means, some capital, some lowercase, on the same word. Your press says learn to code double my salary, though. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with improving your life by developing skill sets, and that's now part of what the administration's starting to say. They don't mean skill sets mostly like we talk about. They're talking about technical skill sets and things like that. But you don't go giving yourself a 20% raise, tell people to buy $60,000 cars that are making $35,000 a year right now. So your whole solution would re rely on you learning to code. Um, if as many people learn to code as they're saying should learn to code, there wouldn't be a lot of opportunity in coding anymore. Something is valuable. Why? Because it's necessary and to a degree rare. So food's necessary, but what would happen to the price of food if everybody did what we teach? And everybody in America that was capable of it, not even everybody in an apartment, just everybody that had a small holding of land was producing somewhere between 15 and 50% of their food. What would happen to the price of food? It would go down because it would be less rare. And even though it's necessary, if it's less rare, it's less valuable in a monetary standpoint. It's still as valuable as it ever was to the individual. But if you're producing your own food, you know it's better food, too. So you'll have more value in the food that's free or low cost in your backyard than the food they're selling you in the store, which will drive down the commodity price of food even more. It's almost like it's a solution to a problem that they don't want. Um, now, this one I don't really get. Nunya says jug fishing and walnut husks, and like comma between jug fishing and walnut husks. I know all about jug fishing. And I'm wondering if there's a way that you can use walnut husks and some of the toxins within them to make fish float. And I just don't know that, which would be interesting because you would think I would know that growing up where there were so many walnuts. But um, I have no idea. Now, here's I, I will say jug fishing is a great skill set. Limb lining is a great skill set. Find out the legalities in your state or area. And if you're going to break the law, be smart about it. Walnut husks. What can we do with walnut husks? My number one use for walnut husks when I was a teenager, I used to run trap lines. You get brand new traps, and you can brown the steel on the traps to reduce rust, kind of like bluing the steel on a gun. And that's what we used to do, big old 55-gallon drum with water and walnut husks in it and dip the traps. And you can look into that if you want to know a use for walnut husks. But maybe they can be used to, uh, to chemically fish for fish. I don't really like that idea, so I'm not sure what we're doing there. 
Um, but, it, you know, survival situations, it's good to know things, right? K-Bong says, don't tread on me, flew proud also. He's talking about when I was talking about the flags. And Nunya says, Gadsden, baby. Yeah, same thing, right? So it was, that was, like, I had some moments where I felt a little bit emotional in a very positive way during the Canadian Struckers trike. And seeing the Gadsden flag and the U.S. flag fly alongside the Canadian flag with people fighting for their freedom the way that they figured out how to do That was one of them. K-Bonk says, uh, here, here, thoughts, Jack. I don't know, remember what that was. I think it was on that kind of place where I was on the soapbox a little bit. John says, as a hobby, I learned to make homemade explosives as a kid. Yeah, me too. And I'll give you a harmless one just to open your mind to things that are possible. And you're going to have to ask yourself if you've never heard me talk about this before. And I don't know if I've ever put this on the air before. I think I've only told this story at workshops here you know, along the lines of talk to the squirrel. Well, I'm not going to tell you what talk to the squirrel means, but I'll tell you how you make a little safe firecracker. This is pretty, I'm not going to say nothing could happen, but we did it an awful lot and nothing ever happened. I guess if you can still get strike anywhere matches, you can do this. So we used to take old bicycle spokes. You got the part that goes into the center of the wheel, and then you got the, the tension nut that's inside the rim. And, you you know, when your spokes get loose or whatever, you tighten that spoke to pull the wheel round if they're all tensioned right. So we take old bicycle rims and you take that spoke and that little nut out and then you you take the nut all the way off the uh, the bicycle spoke. And then that little screw like threaded part of the spoke is great for the next part. You take strike anywhere match and you scrape the match head off the match head. You do one or two matches, and as you build up your little pile of match head powder, scrape somewhere else, because if you accidentally strike the match with it, you lose all your powder, and it goes up. You can burn your fingers. That's about the most dangerous thing I can say that we ever had happen to this, you can burn your fingers. So then you take the match powder, and you pack it into... We're creative kids, guys. This is, this is Gen X at its height, right? You pack the match powder into the nut, the tension nut, and then you screw it, and you don't do it super tight. You do it till it's compacted. And then you take something like a ledge. You know, We would use like a rock, or we would use, like there was this overpass in this creek we used to play, and it was a good place to do this. And you put a rock on it, and then you suspend the little nut out in the open air. And then you light another match. A lighter would be better because it takes a while. Sometimes it takes two or three matches to get this to happen. And you hold the match underneath the nut and you want the flame where the hottest part of the flame is heating up the nut and when you do that long enough it goes bam it's about four times as loud if you know what poppers are little things in papers that kids throw on the ground and go snap snap about four times as loud as that nothing explodes nothing blows up you just have to ask yourself how did we figure that out we were like nine years old when we figured that out what made us even do it curiosity Curiosity and, and a knowledge that nothing really bad. And we did it with a little bit first, and we got it to go poof. We're like, hmm, interesting. And we increased it. Like, we used to jump off shit. We weren't stupid when we were kids. You jumped off a thing. You didn't get hurt. You went a little higher, and you jumped. And when you got high enough that it hurt a little bit, you stopped. Right? Like, like that. that's the limit. Like, we tested limits as kids. Um, John, I think this is when we were talking about defending this country, if it was ever invaded. He says, I have kids. It makes me dangerous. That's an interesting statement. Why do you think they're so big on having less kids? Something happens for men and women both, but certainly in the mind of a man. A man with no children 
or no grandchildren, thinks a lot differently than a man that has a couple. There's a switch that goes in your head. When you're 22 years old and male, there's not a lot that you're thinking about the future, and if you are, it's mostly for yourself. When you're 22 years old and you're a father, sometimes it takes a while when you're a new father. But as you watch that kid start to grow and develop, you change. And a person that would never harm anybody, a person that was always a pacifist, will flat out break a neck to defend their child. And that makes a people much harder to control when they're concerned about the next generation. So you can't have them all stop having babies. So what you do is you destroy the nuclear family, you make the children feel like they're a burden, and you subsidize single parent. And you make the father pay for the kids even if he doesn't get to see them. And you weaken a country. And you think any of this is new. 365 Outdoors said, When Russia fell, the U.S. bought uranium from Russia in the program called Megatons to Megawatts. That is true. That's absolutely true. K-Bonk says, Monetize trolls. Yeah, I'm thinking about monetize. How do I monetize that guy? Maybe buy an MSB for a friend? What if I did you have two choices during the sale? You can buy MSB for yourself for 35 bucks a year, or you can pay full price but buy one, get one for a friend. Maybe we monetize a troll next week with that. I don't know. And if you're already a member, you can buy a friend one for 25 bucks and do it as a one-time payment, and it doesn't recur unless they choose to renew. How about that? We monetize this guy. What are we going to use for a discount code if we do that, guys? I don't know. Uh, fake anarchist? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll get there. Let's go, Brandon. Duh. We'll, we'll, we'll make something happen next week. I'll figure something out. Uh, John Marlin says, Harbor Freight Greenhouses, yay or nay? I've heard different things on this. I don't know how much they are now. They used to be about 600 bucks. It seemed like a deal. But my next-door neighbor, they decided they wanted a greenhouse. They have their son does all the work. He came in and poured a concrete foundation, set that thing there, put it together. It looked really cool. And I spent the last eight years... Taking my, my thing for my, for vacuuming my pool, that long pole that extends, and knocking greenhouse panels out of my oak trees and tossing them back over the fence. And then just like last week, he pulled all those panels out. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I've heard people say that they can be put in with some kind of clip or something where they don't come out. Overall, I think there's better ways to do a greenhouse than that metal thing with those panels. But at the price and the cost of those panels, it, it does make economic sense, though I don't know if it still does because I haven't looked at the pricing on it le lately and everything's up. Henderson Outdoor Services says, tips for growing a current landscaping business into a nursery as well. Just do it. Understand that what you want to do first is develop plant propagation capability. And in a four-foot by eight-foot intermittent misting bed, Take the perennials that are the most valuable to your customers. Don't worry about edibles initially. You have an existing landscape business. Where do all the plants come from? Come from the store. What do they cost you? What costs you the most? What does every, what does every plant a property owner want? What could you sell more of if you had more and they cost less? Learn to propagate those. You can make thousands in a four-foot-by-eight-foot bed. Now, you do have to grow them out in pots, but save all your pots from all your jobs and then start transferring into them, set up a grow area, and then build from there. And, and you can go into all kinds of stuff from that point forward. Uh, that's about as much as I can do for now. Jack 
rant on the NRA's new unscare tactics. I don't know what that is. But the NRA doing something stupid doesn't surprise me. You guys can somebody send me an email on that, maybe we'll talk about it next week. Looking at Start Page or Swiss Cow now for a search engine. I don't have someone to really recommend. I do like pre-search because you can earn some money there, but they're not exactly friendly as far. I've tried to get a pre-search guy to talk to me. He hasn't talked to me. He follows me on float. I'd like to ask some questions before I push. And that's why I stopped pushing it hard. I, when I first found it, I'm like, this is really great. I got some questions now, and I, I'm not saying not to use it. I've just stopped pushing it. Um, Kathy says, Blaze is a good search engine. I don't know, but I'm going to check it out today. And that'll fit good with uh, Jessica says, good alternatives to DuckDuckGo. Kathy says, Blaze. So we should try that. Um, now, Nunya says, they clean them. Laugh out loud. I don't know what that means. you got to be more specific if you want me to comment. Scario says, what is going to be the course length and cost? That's my aquaponics or my aquatics course, backyard aquatics. I don't know how long it's going to be. I know that it's going to be right now I'm doing section 10. So it's in sections like chapters and then a huge amount in, in most of the sections. Some sections are a little bit shorter. In, in, in my head, it's going to be 14, but in my head, it was going to be 8 when I started. So I'm going to go until I'm done, and it's all hierarchically worked out to where it's logical progression. And then I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to start doing the PowerPoint presentation recordings and start uploading it to the site. My instinct is it's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 hours of instruction. And that's what it's going to take to do it right. It could end up being more. You know, a PDC is 80 hours of instruction. And so 20 would be a quarter of the length of a full permaculture design course. And I'm kind of doing this like, what if there was a PDC just for small-scale aquatics? And I want to be clear something, right, about this course, what's coming. I've got a lot of questions like, hey, I want to put in a two-acre lake with a spring-fed creek. Do it, man. Do it. That's way beyond what this course... This course is, I have a couple, three acres or less, and I want to put in small ponds that are kind of zone one, zone two, integrated systems that feed me, that feed my livestock, that make fertilizer for my gardens, that grow vegetative crops that I couldn't grow in a normal garden, that make crops in a regular garden grow better. Right. This is you know, 100 gallons to 5,000 gallons up to about a in-ground swimming pool conversion, so 20,000 gallons at the upper end. If you're talking about measuring a pond in acres or hectares, that's not what this is. I'm not saying it won't help you, but that's not the kind of ponds we're going to design. We're going to start out designing a 25-gallon pond sunk into your garden, right in the middle of your garden bed, that won't turn into a skank hole. And we're going to go up to systems like I have out that are growing water hyacinth for my ducks, bullheads for me, water chestnuts, duck potato, all kinds of cool stuff. That's just because I have got a lot of questions about that. I did on MeWe put out the syllabus as it was last week, last week in a PDF to get some feedback on it. I will probably, I don't think I'm going to have time today. Uh, I got grandpa duty coming at me hard, uh, but I will probably this weekend try to get the, the, the PDF that is the newest version of the syllabus up on MeWe as a file to be looked at and commented on this weekend. So you should follow me on MeWe. 
How do you follow me on MeWe? Go to MeWe.com, sign up for MeWe, search for Jack Spirico. I'm the only one there right now, okay? Uh, or go to Get Social on the Survival Podcast website. Survival Tips and other stuff says, bingo, there you go, Jack. Bluegills, Red Ear, Mason Bream, all in a water tank, no refrigeration. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. You can run a pump that's you know about the size of my microphone, or you can run a compressor in a deep freezer. In a deep freezer, you have a shelf life, and whatever you put in there is whatever you put in there, and it doesn't get any bigger. And in a fish pond, fish get bigger. And they do so many other things. Uh, Anarchy says, where can I sign up? You can't yet. You can't yet. I might have a pre-sign-up out within a couple weeks. I have to get this to a point where I'm comfortable starting to take names and stuff for it. Uh, Jack, is there enough food in the pond for these guys? You don't have to feed frozen fish. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I think he's asking, this is Nick, and he's asking, do I feed my fish? Yes. I have a whole section in the course on how to feed fish and how to make as much feedstock for your fish as possible as part of the system, integrated into the system. Here's one way I do it right now. It's kind of a sneak peek. Um, I have systems where I have upper tanks and then I have larger lower ponds. My upper tanks grow things like baby minnows and shrimps and things like that. And then they overflow and they go down into a lower tank and it overflows down into a lower tank. And what happens is inevitably some of those little minnows and shrimps get too close to the overflow and they go for a, a water, you know, water park style ride and then they're slowly being partially fed, and they actually do develop in the lower ponds in the height of summer when there's a lot of vegetation. You can take a net, go underneath uh, the roots of a floating weed, and shake it, and you pull out shrimp. And then when all the weeds die back and there's not as much cover and you look in those lower ponds, you can barely see any minnows, and you absolutely see no shrimp. But then the next summer they're back. So I know they're, they're making the ride. They're establishing a beachhead. At times of high production and high cover, there's enough of them in there to be a constant source of feed. But I still feed commercial feed. It's not worth worrying about. I have a lot of ponds. I feed 150 to 200 pounds of feed a year. I feed plain old normal everyday commercial feed. If there was a viable organic uh, substitute, I would buy it. But it doesn't exist. A bag of fish feed is like, well, it's probably 20 bucks now. It's like $14. So, you know, call it 20 and you're at 80 bucks a year in feed. But what if they run out? Buy eight bags and dump it in a big uh, galvanized garbage can and go on with your life. Uh, but, yeah, we want to actually get as much of that coexistent feed. And there's other things we can do. Save it for the course. I follow through when I spend money on it. Uh, that's the course and having to charge for it. I agree. How do we sign up? You can't yet. Uh, bream and bluegills eat vegetation to a degree, especially when they're little. Um, we're going to talk about how to make your pond not green, but why you might want certain tanks to be green as far as one-cell algae as brood tanks for certain things. Uh, NFT Jack's Pond, I get the rights to one of those fish. That's interesting. I don't know. Uh, Crow Fund NFT, I think he meant crowdfund. The Crow Fund NFT. I've been listening to a dude, by the way. I like little plays on things like Crow Fund, right? Um, this one's a little bit more accurate, though. So this guy's called The Pond Digger. He has a, a podcast called The Pond Digger Podcast. I've been listening to him lately. He's in a different world than me. He's in, like, perfectly beautiful dream ponds. You spend $15,000 to have a contractor do with big, giant koi swimming around, and you can see everything. And 
but there's a lot of overlap, and I've been listening to him to see, is there anything that I could take from his world into mine? And uh, he said, Pondcast, like several times, is like Freudian slips. And I'm like, dude, just run with it. Again, he's called the Pond uh, Digger. You can find him on most of the podcast services. You might like him. Rose Bell sounds great. What was the plugin called? I can actually tell you that it is called. No, I can't. It's it's LMS platform, but I can't remember the name. It's 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 Learn Something, and I will try to remember to get it on the show for you next week. I don't want to go clicking things and messing with things right now, but it's really badass. I think it's like for a single site license. I think it's like a hundred and eighty bucks. And for like an unlimited site license, it's like 200 something, and it's really powerful. Uh, K-Bonk says that, uh, I guess that was the uh, Red Sorrel makes great borscht. That'd be interesting. Ironwood, stuff is tough. Talking about uh, Black Locust, I agree. Same for Golden Locust. Now, I'm not sure what Golden Locust is. Um, we grow two locust species on my property. One is black locust, and it has thorns, but they're not that big. And the other is thornless honey locust. I know I'm, I'm trying to establish a few really big thornless honey locusts because you can actually use the pods to make moonshine. So that's why I'm doing that. One thing to know about thornless honey locusts, they are thornless. It doesn't mean that when their seeds fall somewhere and grow on their own, that their prodigy will be thornless. And there is a particular town in uh, Australia where if Bill Mollison was still alive, they'd still want to lynch him because of that, just so you know. But if you are controlling growth of seedlings through mowing or grazing, it's not really an issue. Nick Dupree says, I love my devil tree. Uh, there actually is a tree called Devil's Club. We found the remnants of a dead one, and it's a different species. It was pretty cool looking. Fred Lane says, I'm 100% correct. Thank you. I don't know what I was correct on, though. I'll have a timeline there. I finally bought on Coinbase. Oh, Fred says he bought on Coinbase. And then he follows up with, it was scary, but I did it. Okay, so you buy on Coinbase or you buy on Strike. Next week, I'm going to try to remember to buy some Bitcoin on the Strike app in front of you. My wife, for some reason, has some sort of holdup on her Strike account. I wanted her to do it because... If she can do it, then you'd even be more comfortable doing it. And I was going to talk her through it and let her, let you guys watch her. To, it takes seconds. But then the next step, send the Bitcoin to a software wallet. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Scott says, can you please explain dollar cost averaging for Bitcoin as if I'm a 10-year-old? Buy it in small amounts frequently. That's it. That's dollar cost averaging. Dollar cost averaging, I don't care if it's Bitcoin, it's a mutual fund, it's an individual stock. It's anything. All you're doing is you're just buying at a regular frequency, weekly, monthly. And the commodity goes up and down and up and down. And that means sometimes you're going to pay high and sometimes you're going to pay low. And at dollar cost average aggregate over time, when you have a 401k at work and you say, put 5% of my money in my 401k and divide it up in these four mutual funds, you're dollar cost averaging. That's it. Now, I like to do modified dollar cost averaging. Meaning I have a certain amount of money that I can spend to buy new Bitcoin with every month. And when anybody, when I, when I, everybody starts freaking out and says, it crashed, I buy it then. I wait for it to go down. If it's way up and it goes down, but it's still way up, I buy it then. If it was way up and it goes way down, lower than it's been a long time, I buy it then. And I watch the, the stock to flow model. And if it comes out of that band and I've got some money set aside to buy Bitcoin with, I buy it then. How much? 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever. 
And I'll be honest, it also depends on who, how many people paid me that week in, in Bitcoin or other crypto that I converted to Bitcoin. Because if I had a certain amount come in, then I'll wait for maybe it to go lower. And if it doesn't happen, then the next time it drops, I'll buy it. So it's still a DCA because I'm not looking for specific buy points. What I'm looking for is this. Whenever I see, just for those on the audio, that's, a, that's my finger going down, dropping like a big steep drop, buy. When I see a big steep up, I don't buy. Because I know a big steep down is coming, even if it only comes back to where it was when it went up. And it's not a complex trading strategy. This is not day trading. This is just, I got 400 bucks to buy Bitcoin with this month. Right? And I have my debit card connected to my Strike account. And I buy most of my Bitcoin with Strike now. And look, there was a big drop. Deposit $50. It takes that long, by the way. Your deposit's there. Bitcoin. Buy all. Pay. You've bought Bitcoin. Send, grab Exodus address, drop in, send, confirm, green check mark. Your Bitcoin's on the way to your wallet. It's literally that fast. And somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes later, Exodus goes chime, and then it's certified, and then that money's in my control as Bitcoin. It's that simple. And that's DCAing along with it. Uh, it was scary, but I did it. I already covered that. Peter says, question on crypto keys. What is your advice on how to ensure keys, etc., make it your inheritance after you die? You need to have some way that those keys are going to be handed down, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. One way is you take your heirs who don't really know how to do it, if you trust them, and you say this is how to get to them, and then you make an agreement with somebody that you really trust that will help them and guide them through the process. There are... Other things that you can do with multi-sigs that are going to get more complex where basically the last key will go to the heir at the time and then the two keys go together and they unlock the vault. There's a lot of ways to do it. And I would say one of the things you could do is talk to an attorney about how to do it. And I'm, I think more and more sophisticated things will be. But remember, you need the keys or the phrase And you can sweep the currency anywhere. And so all you have to think about is how do I make sure it goes to them, but how do I make sure that if I'm not sure that I can 100% trust them right now, that they can't get it before I die. So it could be as simple as you have some sort of a vault and you have a will. And one of the things in the will is the combination of the key and possession of the items in the vault And your attorney doesn't necessarily need to know what's in the vault. They just need to know how to make sure the key is provided. And you have pretty good legal protection that your attorney's not going to run off with your key and go open your vault. And there's ways to set that up, too. I don't want to get too deep into that. That's, that's probably a whole show. And we probably should bring on an expert in how to make sure that you can properly will by enforcing your will on crypto. But in the end, I think we're going to get to a point where we have smart contracts where it happens automatically. One of the keys in the contract is your death, and once your death is somehow certified, that the distributions occur, and that will allow us to do things beyond giving our money to our, our prodigy. That will allow those of us that achieve a lot of wealth to set up literally foundations like, like the giant globalists like the Rockefellers do. They say, I want to take care of this one little thing over here with a piece of my wealth, and it goes into a fund. And then there's people that you know kind of oversee and take care of it, but unlike... 
these foundations where people can kind of take over the foundation, it's like, okay, well, these things need to occur, and then this year's funds will be distributed out of this contract to make sure this thing lasts for 50 years. But if you don't take care of it, here's what happens instead. It goes somewhere else. Like, it will get that sophisticated, but we're not there yet. And once it's that sophisticated, how do you make sure it goes through your heirs is going to be cakewalk. Christopher says, how do you find unincorporated land? Is there a map filter government website? I don't know. I mean, I think what you do is you look in the area that you're in, and you start looking for property that's listed as unincorporated, and stuff around it will be. Um, here's a clue, though. This is part of how we found this place. You look at the place, and the address says Fort Worth. And then you look at where Fort Worth is, and you look where the place is, and they ain't the same place. And what you'll find is most people that live in an unincorporated piece of property will tend to have the name of the county seat as their city in their address. Not all and not everywhere. That might be a Texas thing. But I've noticed that here. We are not, like there are multiple towns between here and Fort Worth. And I saw this property listed two ways. One was a Fort Worth address and one was an Azel address. And ain't hill or beans near either one. And so when you see that, it's probably the case. But I think that would be something that, you know, it might be, it might be, um, kind of like a suffering that you'll have to go through to talk to anybody that works for government. But a call like your tax assessor's office or something like that, and ask them, is there any resource uh, where we can determine that land is unincorporated land? Because your county is going to have that information. Because when you live in an unincorporated land, um, then what's going to happen is you're going to pay taxes only to the county, not to the city, because there isn't one. So that would be one way. The other way would be, I don't, again, Law enforcement is different in different places. But in Texas, if the area is covered by your sheriff's department, it's probably unincorporated. So just talking to, like, sheriff's deputies, they'll know. At least in Texas they will. So that would be another way that you might be able to find it. Fred says, I was taught to pretend I was talking with my friends to get over the fright of talking to strangers. That's a good way. And I've also talked to people about a little tip. I've never been afraid to talk to people. Um, I have at times in an insulted way being, been called autistic and I am on the autism spectrum disorder. Uh, I am actually, you know, they used to call it Asperger's and I think they stopped calling it that so that they could, uh, play around with money and statistics and, and, and stuff inside of pharma. Uh, and fortunately when I was a kid, there was no cure or no chemical treatment for this. And, um, that got better over the years as I developed coping mechanisms. And I've talked to people about this. I said, well, how do you always look people in the eye when you talk to them or whatever, except for your eye that just goes off on its own? That's this. It's not, I'm not looking at you, that, that eye right there, right, my left eye. I just have such poor vision, and especially if I'm not wearing my glasses, it just goes off and does its thing like Forrest Whitaker. Um, but how do you appear that you're looking at people in the eye if you don't want to look at it? And I say, as you look right here, look right at the eyebrows above the eyebrows or look right below their eyes and most people won't notice it they'll they'll notice it if they're really trying to make eye contact heavily but it'll help you cope and adapt there's a lot of ways to cope so i've never been afraid to stand in front of a room and say what i had to say but that one-on-one -on -one more intimacy with someone i'm not ready for that yet uh you know there's a lot of business situations people want to be looked in the eye when you speak to them and i'm better at it now but that's how i developed that ability baby steps so uh, if you just think that people like me are just, you know, screaming extroverts, 
and, uh, and, and it's, it's always been easy. All of us get to where we are in steps over time. Guys, I had a wonderful time doing this one. This went, uh, John Bush checking in there. John sent you an expert counsel question on crypto today. Um, I, I, uh, I had an excellent time doing this one, and I, I like this format of going into current events and then going into solutions and backyards. Went longer than I planned. I need to go. Again, Grandpa Duty is calling. I'll catch you guys later. Audio will go out probably about 30 minutes from now on all the podcast feeds. Share with your friends and neighbors. Hit the like, subscribe button. Or if you're on, uh, if, somebody asked me about uh, Twitch. And if you're on Twitch, they don't call it subscribe, they call it follow. That's why you can't find a subscribe button. Anyway, I hope to hear from all of you guys over the weekend. Remember, TSPC in the subject line, just send me an email, and I will be back on Monday. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way Dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way